Today's a special episode. Instead of one guest, I actually have three guests who are part of a much larger group, The Thrill Begins. And it is part of the International Thriller Writers Organization. And with us, I have Ed Amar, Shannon Kirk, and Wendy Tyson, who are all three authors in the group. How are you guys doing today? We're good, thanks. I'm rad. You're right. <laughs> oh, there's an email exchange earlier where um, Shannon is trying to bring back the word rad into the overall vocabulary. Yeah. Ed, I believe, I don't know, did you found the group yourself or just were there in the beginning? So I was working with uh, the International Thrill Writers Organization. It's an organization dedicated to essentially providing resources and support to crime fiction writers. And I started uh, working with the organization a few years ago for, and I was under uh, a woman named Jenny Milchman. And she asked after about a year or two if I'd consider taking over a weekly blog site they had, The Thrill Begins, and reformatting it. So I did, and one of the things that we wanted to do was have regular contributors, and I reached out to some good friends and great writers that I'd come across in since, since I got published. And among them were writers like Jennifer Hillier and J.J. Hensley, who I know was on your show before, and also Wendy Tyson and Shannon Kirk. Um, so we all sort of, I, uh, was in charge of the site, but we all started it together and I've seen it grown from then. Is this the international thriller writers as Joe Fender and, uh, Gail Linz, I think. Oh yeah. They're, I don't know their involvement. I think they had involvement in the past. They're not on the board now, but, um, yeah, the, uh, it was the, the two past presidents were MJ Rose and Lee Child. And I think they're they're stepping down, but it's uh, run by Liz Berry's the uh, president. She's the uh, her husband is uh, Steve Berry, the writer. So they've um, they they're the ones who are chiefly involved with it now. One thing I was noticing is it appears that it's not just thrillers. You guys seem to have a range of books. Um, specifically, Wendy, you seem to have almost a a cozy series. I do. I do. I, I, I actually write a range of crime fiction. So I do have a cozy series, which is probably my, my most well-known series. That's the greenhouse series, but I also write psychological thrillers and traditional mysteries as well. You're bridging the gap, kind of like a Charlene Harris type of thing. Right. I cry. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, and then Shannon's books are, it's a genre called sort of batshit. <laughs> <laughs> but also really good. Okay, can you define that shit for me? Is it rad, Shannon? <laughs> well, I I hope I hope it's rad. Rad, that shit crazy. Yeah. So, what exactly is it, or or a general idea? I, I, my books have been put in so many different categories. Sometimes it's categorized under thriller, psychological thriller, horror, thriller horror. If I read through the reviews. Some people do call it batshit crazy. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a it's a 
range. Okay. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> has, has that actually, and you know, I don't um, want to sidetrack too much, but I, I'm interested in this also in terms of a podcaster, because I think that podcasts can be compared to books in a lot of ways. We have a huge range of genres. We have, you know, every subject you can think of, and we have a lot of them out there, 700,000. And I'm wondering if in podcasting, the big common wisdom is niche down, niche down, niche down, niche down. It sounds like you're crossing different niches. Do you, does that sometimes present challenges? I hear you. Certainly the marketing departments of, and I can just speak to my own experience, various publishing houses would love for me to niche down. They would love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I can't write that way. I mean, I, for me as a writer, I, I really do need to write and I do write in different styles. I have a book out that's um, comp to life of pie. So that's not even a thriller at all. Some days I just write poems. So my very quick war story on this is that with my current publisher, I have been insisting for a couple of years now that I really want to write this uh, sci-fi thriller. And I've got about 60% of it done. But even though I have a great relationship with them, they don't do sci-fi thriller. They want me to do what I've published in the past. Uh, So, you know, I've got to make a choice. And, and really, the choice is going to come down to whatever my brain wants to do. I can I can relate to that. Um, part of the reason I ask is I'm in the same boat. This is unstructured. And so I'm talking to you guys. I talked to um, the guy who created your, your logical fallacy is.com yesterday. I talked to a lawyer YouTuber also yesterday. So I'm all over the map. But the key thing is that I have to want to do it. So I guess that that may be the boat that you're in. You have to be motivated to actually sit down and write. Yes, exactly. Now, coming back to everything, how does this break down? Now, I understand it's a, a website and you're writing articles and things like that. I'm guessing they're how-to and things. Are you also getting together like a traditional writing group and and trading uh, advice and things of that sort? Wendy? Well, we've done a variety of things. So, I mean, I think, you know, we, we share a lot um, – of information. We share a lot of, uh, of our work through various means, email, sorry, I have some, um, emails. We have a Facebook kind of page where we communicate as well. And we've shared each other's, we've shared novels with, with each other as beta readers, mm-hmm. but I think it's a traditional, it's not a traditional writer's group. Okay. And I'll, I'll go to Ed on this. Uh, so do you, is part of the function of this group to help promote each other and cross promote because I know I have um, different podcasting friends who I'll put the promos of their shows on the end of my show and, and just things like that. It, I mean, it's very hard to break through and if you can scale the different audiences, does it help? Yeah. I think one of the things that I've found, well, one of the reasons I started working originally with the uh, international thriller writers was the support in the community. And that's one of the things that is sort of a boon in crime fiction is you get this, this, uh, sense of camaraderie among writers and we've, you, it's very easy to become close friends with other crime fiction writers nowadays. Um, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why that is. Um, and maybe I'm just considering people close friends and they're considering me acquaintances, but (laughs) either way it, um, 
it happens. And with this group, we've seen that. I mean, we, we, I don't think many of us knew each other ahead of time. Um, and we became really good friends and the, we sort of share the same humor. And I, I, I think the group genuine, we genuinely care about each other. I, I'm not sure most of the people in the group, including myself, uh, consider ourselves group people. You know what I mean? Writers tend to be loners. They tend to be, uh, they tend to have at least a degree of, of introversion to themselves. It's, I don't know if that's a word, but they, um, <laughs> I'm a writer, but they, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not really the type of people I, I think who generally, um, are comfortable in crowds and, for some reason, this uh, this tends to work. Um, so uh, supporting each other, promoting each other's work, uh, working together, blurbing each other, uh, all of that stuff we, we do because we know it's necessary and we know how hard it is to, to get. But we are genuinely uh, friends and fans of each other. Two quick things. One, I, I don't think Ed mentioned this at the beginning, but a number of us were debut authors together through International Thriller mm. Writers is how some of us originally met. And when we do get together, whether it's, you know, at Thriller Fest or BastroCon or, or whatever, we have a great time. So we do try and make that effort to see each other in person when we can. That's awesome. We have that in podcasting too. It's almost like the class of 2015. <laughs> you sort of yeah. are hanging out with your peers because we're all at different points in the career. Mm-hmm. And I right. find, um, I don't know if you guys have found it, it's very hard to not compare yourself to other could be more famous or big name authors and say, why can't, why am I not there yet? And yes, I'm speaking for myself here too, but the reality is that you're at a different point in their career than they are. Do you find that within the uh, group helping each other at the different levels? I'll go with uh, Shannon. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, if I compare it to my day job, the camaraderie within writing is just wonderful. And the support is almost shocking. Sometimes you almost question it. (laughs) Wow. And, you know, there's folks who are, I would say, ahead of me career wise in writing who have given me endless hours for no pay and really no promise of reciprocation. And then you pay that you pay it back to the folks that are coming up because you know how hard it is. So I, I think that the writing community, especially our, our group, especially is really true to each other. I I feel like it's all true. The support is true. And I'm really truly impressed by everybody's writing that the folks in our group are, they should be New York times bestseller authors. Everybody should know everybody in this group's name. Really? Well, we're working on that. Ed, you were saying? Yeah, and we're also, it's odd because I've found, I'm, you know, a relatively small, petty man, but I don't, that doesn't come into writing. And it's really strange. I I am, I, I love seeing the success when my friends, you know, touch success. It's, it's, I'm so excited. You know, Shannon, her, new book uh, coming out soon, Gretchen, just got a starred review in PW. And I saw it and texted her and I think I yelped a little bit. 
which is maybe a slightly more manlier way of saying screamed. You know, I, I was so excited for her. And, and Wendy's received great reviews in PW, too. It, it, all that stuff that, you know, it's, it's, it's delightful. And, and I, I don't know. I, I don't feel necessarily like I'm comparing. I, I, I think, you know, you, you, you have a sharp eye on your own career and where it's going and where you believe it'll go. Um, but I, we need, we need each other to succeed. We need, we need more, uh, books that everybody's talking about and reading because that that helps all of us we need another da vinci code or harry potter or 50 shades i mean it, it's it's great if any book becomes especially crime fiction becomes the the talk of the nation rising tide yeah i'll just add here because ed is way too modest i think that you know at the outset you asked kind of was whether he started the group and He'll shy away from the word heart, but I think he's been the heart of the group for a long time. Sorry. Not brains. Um, and as, as, well, as well as brains in the sense of setting strategy and coming up with ideas. But beyond, behind that is always this incredible positive energy. And it really has, I think, buoyed many of us through, you know, sometimes tough times that you have when you're when you're authors. The other thing I'll say is that you hit at the beginning of this that we all kind of write in different ways and, in, and to some extent different subgenres. And I think that helps um, because there's both inspiration there as well as, you know, when somebody has a success, it's, it's even, it's, it's even more exciting um, because there is such an array of voices and, and, of, and of talents in the group. I did want to go back to that. So thank you for bringing that up, Wendy. Um, it makes me think I'm a huge audiobook reader. So Ed, you need to get on that. <laughs> and, uh, Early on, and by this I mean in the early oddies, it was very difficult to find unabridged audiobooks. You know, they were, it was pretty thin. And that forced me to read things like Sandra Brown, who I never would have picked up, but I enjoyed the hell out of, and other authors. Because you guys do stretch out into the different genres, do you find it refreshing? reading these different things that maybe you wouldn't naturally pick up because it's not quite your thing, but then you get satisfaction from reading them and maybe even influence in your own writing. Definitely. I find it exciting and I, I've found inspiration. I think I've read work from, uh, if not everybody, almost everybody in the group. And, you know, to Shannon's point earlier, I'm just blown away every time and just kind of humbled and honored to be amongst the the folks in this group. So yes, I think definitely um, inspiration um, is found, you know, from reading others work within this group. And yeah, uh, Shannon and I can't talk too much about this because we'll start shouting and getting all excited. But one of the writers in the group, a guy, <laughs> Tom Sweaterlick, I, he writes science fiction and it's, it, it has a connection to crime fiction, but really it's predominantly science fiction. Um, his first book had sort of a science fiction meets Raymond Chandler uh, vibe to it. And his second book is about sort of a detective traveling through time uh, or traveling back through time to solve, to, to investigate cases. That, that's a poor description of it. He's a beautiful writer. We love his work. Um, I, I probably wouldn't have read him just because I, I, I don't have anything against science fiction. It's just not what I, not what I genuinely, generally read. But I'm so glad that I've 
come across that. And yeah, I consider him, uh, you know, somebody who should be read a lot more. And, and I definitely, I, I it's, it, it's hard for me to read him and not feel influenced. He's Tom's writing. Okay. See, you didn't want us to go off and gush on him. Like I'm in love with his writing. It is <laughs> just, it's just, it's just dripping with gorgeousness. It's so crazy good. It's like next, next, next level. Mm. Uh, yeah. So we have to stop the love fest now. <laughs> well, I like I, I like hearing this. I I want to dig and and see you know different things. And I bunny trails are always fine. <laughs> are you guys tied in with the um, International Thriller Awards? We not really. I mean, no, not even not really. No, <laughs> we know about them. Jennifer Hillier's. Uh, last book, uh, Jar of Hearts, is nominated for best uh, best overall novel for this okay. year's awards. Oh, cool. And two of the writers, J.J. Uh, Hensley and Gwen Florio, uh, who's another fantastic writer, were nominated when they de- when they in their debut class for best first novel. But aside from having some some nominees, we're not otherwise tied into them. Okay. We volunteer in other ways. Like I, I work, I do. I'm a contributing editor for The Big Thrill, which is another of their online magazines. I know Ed, you're on the board. Um, so you know, but not not directly through the awards. Shannon, you mentioned day job. Now, does I have a day job? Sorry, I'm not making a living on podcasting. Do you guys all <laughs> have a day job still, or are any of you um, able to make that leap and write full time? No, I day job ventured. I'm so stuck in my job. Do you mind if I find out what everybody does? It's it's always neat to hear. Starting Shannon. I uh, practice in litigation. Okay. That's probably helpful for what you're writing. Little fact. (laughs) (laughs) Wendy. I'm an attorney also. Um, Originally corporate and securities. And I do ERISA law. So if anyone knows what that is, kudos to you. Uh, 401k plans and qualified plans, defined benefit plans, things like that. So it's it's pretty good fodder for writing crime fiction. Awesome. <laughs> oh, that was a joke. And um, <laughs> I, I don't practice law. I'm acting in a, in a consultant role. Okay. Ed? And I've uh, my day job's with uh, C-SPAN, the C-SPAN networks. Oh. So I've been there 20, uh, 22 years now, which uh, basically I'm, I'm just C-SPAN's barnacle. I just hang on to that ship until they scrape me off. <laughs> Which is the same approach same approach I have to marriage, to writing. To... <laughs> Persistence, last man standing. What what do you do there? Are you a producer or No, I do marketing. <laughs> marketing. I've okay. uh I've I've been marketing for and you guys have all heard of C SPAN. So I guess I'm doing a good job. <laughs> Yay me. <laughs> oh god, I had a former guest on. I don't mean this cruelly, but um She's uh, Jennifer Briney of Congressional Dish. And the joke is she watches C-SPAN, so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, we hear a lot of those, uh, a lot of those jokes. <laughs> I mean, you serve an important purpose. <laughs> so it's, yeah. I, I couldn't help it. Now, out of curiosity, especially two of you are lawyers. That's, that seems to be a strain amongst um, writers. Is it because the law is essentially all about language? It could be. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. For me, I've always been a writer. Like even when I was a little girl, if I defined myself that way. But um, 
but so so I can only speak for myself. I don't know why other lawyers go into writing, and they I agree with you. It is a strain um, of of folks, but so for me, the law is all about protocols and rules and 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 steps. Mm-hmm. It's, it's structured job. Although litigation trial work is a little different because there's certainly art to that. The writing for me is a is a completely different world. I don't write with structure. I don't write with outlines typically. And and it's really whatever I want it to be. And if somebody says there's a rule uh, that I'm supposed to be following, I'm probably going to try to like, ignore it because it's like my way of, of giving myself therapy for having to be a lawyer. So, um, and you know, to be a lawyer, to get where we are, it's another way to say it. I'm you know, somewhat of a workaholic. I, at least I am. Mm-hmm. And so to really get a book done and get it published and go through all of that, you sort of need to be conditioned to putting up with all that work. So anyway, that's my answer as to why I'm doing both. Thick skin too, right? You got to have some thick skin, you know, and that's definitely when I was going through the rejection period, everybody pretty much most everybody goes through when trying to get an agent. Mm-hmm. My period of rejection was three years. Um, that's awful. I mean, it's just, I don't know. Somebody's got to come up with like a psychological term for it because it is horrible, right? And I think the only reason I got through it is because I've had to stand up in federal court for multi-million dollar cases and suck it up and put on my big girl pants and just, you know, drive through. I I do look at other people and I wonder like, I, I try to prop them up like, it's part of the process. I know it's painful. I know it's psychologically damaging, but but we all go through it. But it's also, I don't know. I'm, I I feel like because I've had to have the thick skin, I was able to get through, but I almost didn't. I mean, I really did almost give up, truly. Yeah, that does make me think. I guess there's maybe you have to be almost robotic about that and just just keep throwing it out there and knowing it's going to fail and I'll almost try to ignore the, uh, the pain coming back. Um, Wendy, how, how did you deal with them? Rejection, Rejection and <laughs> submission and oh, even success. I mean, it, it's all very interesting. Yeah. I, I would say I, I would echo much of what Shannon said in terms of uh, law. I think there's a lot of overlap and I do think it's a chicken and egg. I was a writer before I was a lawyer. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of, crossover in terms of being analytical, being attracted to language and making connections with people. You know, that's a law as much about that, regardless of whether you're in litigation or, or corporate. But I think for me personally, there's a justice aspect. You know, I used to work with teenagers in the juvenile justice system before I went to law school. I was in the counseling psychology field. And when I went to law school, at first I had this like I don't know, thought that I would go into juvenile justice or do something kind of grand with my degree. And I ended up doing contract law and corporate law, which is fine. And I enjoyed it. And I kind of enjoyed the lack of emotions with it, if you will, after counseling for so long. But writing, especially writing in crime fiction, has given me a new outlet. I mean, there there aren't the rules, as Shannon said. But there's a justice element, you know, I mean, real crime is gritty and ugly and especially in the cozy genre, but certainly in a lot of traditional mysteries, you know, I enjoy that at the end of the day, the the bad guys or bad 
women get their comeuppance and mm. um, there's a puzzle aspect of it too, you know, that fits well with law. So I've also had a long journey of rejection and, and some success along the way here and there. And I think you, you write because I write because I love it and I have to write. And I hope that I improve over time and just keep believing in my work because I have to say at the end of the day, if you don't believe in your own work, you have to. I mean, that's really what, what drives it, believing in your work and needing to write, at least for me. Awesome. Now, Ed, you're in marketing. Does that help you? Because typically in a marketing campaign, you know that, okay, we're not going to get any kind of real feedback for X amount of time because you have to throw things out there for a while before they actually catch on. Does that help at all with the uh, rejection and whatnot? Yeah, let me, I, I just want to address one thing about the attorneys, you know, I, I was always surprised at the number of attorneys and doctors who become writers. And it, I, I realized when I was thinking about it, like we did an interview, one of our writers, Elizabeth Heider, another fantastic writer. And I'm going to just preface all my, all the writers here by saying they're great writers. Uh, but she interviewed Tess Gerritsen, who wrote, who wrote the original book for Gravity that potentially became the, fodder for the film and she writes another series that i i wrote uh, rizzoli and isles but she was a doctor and became a, a writer and in her interview i realized like she she's so accomplished but all of these attorneys and doctors i think tend to be intellectually driven motivated people so it, it it's less surprising to me now that they are going to pursue other passions as fervently as their law and medical degrees you know, required. But as for marketing, it, it hasn't helped that much, judging by my, my royalty statements. I would say that it's it's helped a little bit in the sense that I understand advertising platforms and conversion. So I have a bit of a head start when it compared to other writers who and we all have to do our own promotions more or less. But it's different. And that is something I realized right away was Promoting C-SPAN is a known quantity, right? I mean, anything I put out there under C-SPAN's auspices is, is going to have a following immediately. I'm an unknown quantity, you know, and I'm going in a very crowded marketplace without a lot of resources. So it, it, it's a different beast. And for this, for my last book, for The Unrepentant, I actually hired an outside PR firm to manage the promotions for the book. And some of that was because I, I didn't feel like I was doing a very good job, but some of it was also I, I just don't have I don't have a lot of the, a lot of time. I think this is a sentiment that probably Wendy and and you for podcasting can can relate to. It helps to have that out those outside resources. How'd that work for you? It was good. I really liked them. I'd be happy to name drop them right now. At JKS Communications, they were they were terrific. I the the woman I worked with, Ellen, uh, was. Just great. I mean, there's a lot writers have. I, I I hate recommending paid resources because experiences are so subjective. But sure. I um I really had a good good experience with them. A lot of writers have mixed responses to PR agencies, understandably, because it's hard to quantify or guarantee success in that environment. But I uh they they were great. They were they were terrific. I'd work with them again. Then recommend them. That leads into a great question. I think a lot of podcasters go through this too. Uh, a lot of podcasters don't want to pay for anything. It should be free. Why do we even have to pay for a host? Do you think that there is an element that everybody can expect to pay to play to a degree, be it advertising, be it getting a, an assistant, a consultant, a coach, 
anything. Shannon, we'll start with you. Yeah, I wish uh, I wish I could say no. It's not pay to play. It's frustrating. I, I think I think that publishers will say it's all word of mouth. That's the success of a book. They 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 say that, and I think to some degree that is true. However, absolutely, I know from my own experience, I have sold more books when the publishers put more money into the marketing. So for example, my book, Method 1533, was a bestseller, like on the bestseller list down in Colombia, where in France and Spain, et cetera, where those publishers put a lot of money into the marketing. They had the, a big pre-release drive with with like knickknacks and things that went to reviewers. They did. They put money into ads, et cetera. And I compare that to the success of Method 1533 in the United States, where, look, I love my publisher. They're great. They put me on the map, but the sales differentials, I noticed, are different. And maybe it's because in the other markets, it just was more popular by theme, possibly. that That's also an answer. But I also noticed in my current book, I, like Ed, got my own PR. I'm paying for additional PR on, on Gretchen. And I think that I'm getting a little more buzz within at least the, the Instagram world. Sending out arcs costs money. And getting your name out there and getting interviews, you've got to pay someone to help you do that. Because if we're working day jobs, we don't have the time to just do it ourselves. So time is money. So unfortunately, yeah, I have to agree. Some Part of this is, it. I, I hate saying pay to play because it sounds so dirty and untoward, but you've got to invest a little bit in the marketing. You do. You just have to. And, and like covers of books, you know, if you don't invest in a good designer and you end up with some crappy thing that's just been slapped together and no thought, no originality, covers sell. So I sound really down and and I know that's sort of against the tide of cheerleaders out there who want to say, no, just write good and it will sell. Uh, but but to some degree, there is investment, time and money. I, I actually appreciate that. And I'm, I may be contrarian, but I feel like the cheerleaders out there may be causing damage because people are saying, I did it. I'm here. I'm at a book signing at the store and nobody's there. Nobody shows right. up. And that's just brutal. Now, if everybody um, hears right from the you know onset, you're going to get rejected left and right. It's You have to fight. Um, I'm a podcaster. It's not that dissimilar, but I have to fight for every listener. I am beating the bushes constantly. One listener matters to me. Matters every time. And they're sacred. And I imagine that there's more books than there are podcasts. I think a lot of it is reaching people. And Shannon, I, I totally agree. And I do look at it as an investment, especially, you know, it's a, as much as I love writing and it's a lifeblood, it's also a, a, a business and a career. And like any business, you make investments of time and you make investments of money. And I've also hired professional PR and I've seen results from that. You have to be smart about it, but. I would agree. And, and, you know, we love our readers. I love my readers. Every single reader. I agree. You know, I, every single reader 
is important. And, you know, finding new readers can be difficult. And what are there, 11 million books mm-hmm. right now on Amazon? It's hard. I, I look at it like, you know, I'm a, my wife and I watch Shark Tank every week. And, you know, when the, when the people come on and, and try and get their, the sharks to invest in their business, they'll talk about how much they've given to their, to their company and time and how much they've invested in their own money. And, you know, they'll talk about, you know, doing stuff that's, that, that's foolhardy, you know, but it does make you look back at writing, which is, which, you know, like Wendy said, it's, it's a, it's a craft, but it's also a business. How much are you time-wise? We, we all invest a lot financially. Are we investing as much as we should? And are we really making the leap? You know, are we, are we really putting our, our money on how good we think our book is and how much people will like it? I'm not saying we should do that, or we certainly can't do that to an extent, but some of that does, you know, factor in. I mean, when you're, when you want to get published, you imagine you'll do anything to get your book out there to anybody. And then when you get, you imagine you'll go to all 50 states. When you get your book out there, you're kind of like, well, let's see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you got to work on your next book too. No. Yeah. That leads into uh, another question. I think this is related. What are your feelings on self-publishing versus traditional? Because I think that's a, a very important hot topic right now. I'll start with Ed. I'm not opposed to it. I think I I, I think there's it, it wasn't for me. It wasn't what I wanted. Because when I started writing, self-publishing wasn't an option. At the time it was just vanity publishing. And it had a and and so I always had that sort of stigma with it. A stigma I don't share anymore. But I wouldn't want to do the the one thing i would say is i know people who have self-published for the wrong reason and i i I would argue that that reason is you know because they want their book out there quickly and not because it needs to be out there quickly like i I know journalists who have written books based off elections or something where a publisher couldn't put it out in that amount of time i understand that um but writing is about we've all gone through the rejection. I started writing seriously in 97. My first book was finished in 2003. I didn't get published until 2013. I needed that. I needed that rejection. As my, there's no guarantee it'll happen, but that's part of art is going through that critique, that understanding, that, that, that questioning, and then coming out on the other side. And I worry that if someone's self-publishing for the wrong reasons, they're skipping that. And it's, it, it's not... It, that's part of the craft. Okay, Wendy. I I agree, Ed, with what you said. I I am not self published. I I see that it's a viable way to go for a lot of people. I I personally, even if I wanted to go that route, I just don't have the time to do the marketing that I think is necessary to really make it as a self published author. I know quite a few writers who are kind of doing a hybrid approach where they're traditionally published and maybe they have a, a backlist or you know, another series that they're self-publishing. And, and I could really see that that could be a, a lucrative way to go about this. But I think Ed hit on something really important. You know, my, it was my third book, I guess, or my second, my third book that was um, picked up by an agent. And when I look back at my first book that my original agent called my training bra novel, <laughs> um, it was, uh, she was right. You know, there's a reason it didn't get picked up and I'm glad it didn't get picked up and I'm still learning. I'm still learning craft. And so I think that's a process that 
a lot of people aren't willing to go through. And so I think self-publishing is great in the right circumstances, but I would echo Ed, you know, for the right reasons. But, you know, it's a changing market and I can see, you know, it's tough to make it as a writer. And so I could certainly see doing some form of hybrid or really putting the time and effort into even if you're not traditionally self-published and putting that time and effort and, and editing support into it and going that route. You know, for some people who have the ability to do the marketing, maybe maybe the way to go. Shannon, self-publishing. I'm especially interested in your answer because I feel like you may be on the cusp where you have to consider that with a book that your publisher maybe doesn't want to do themselves. Right. Uh, so, no, I agree with, with Ed and Wendy totally. I, you know, for me personally, self-publishing it, a novel, a full novel is is not something that I would want to do. I just the amount of editing and feedback you get from a professional publisher uh, is absolutely critical to the success of or of my work. Because look, I have zero formal training in writing, and by the way, I don't think you need to have that as a separate topic. But self publishing for me wouldn't be an option because I know what I don't know, which is I know that I need an editor or two, sometimes three. (laughs) And I don't have the time to do all the marketing and and all the business side of it by myself. So I agree with all of that. One thing that Wendy said, though, I am thinking about is somewhat of a minimal hybrid, which is now that I've got a little bit under me, I do have, and actually Ed helped me get an editor for this. I have (laughs) a novelette or novella that I've written that probably no publisher would really invest in because it's, it's very short. And I'm thinking of self-publishing that, but, you know, I was lucky enough. I I took some of my royalties and invested it into hiring a private um, editor to help me with that. And she was great. And, you know, look, if I get time and I can do it, I, I might put that up as a self-published option through Amazon. I was, I was wondering, especially because you guys are paying for a publicist, and I know that some established authors are, are literally doing that because they're like, well, I'm already having to publicize this myself. The publisher's depending on my name. I'm doing all this work. I can hire this editor directly, you know, somebody they know in the industry or whatever. And then just do it on, you know, on my own. And it sounds like you might with the uh, smaller one. And it'll be an interesting experiment because if that works out really well, maybe you'll consider doing other books. Right. Well, I mean, I, I would, I probably wouldn't do full novel, but, you know, if I do a, a novelette or a novella here and there, yeah, I, I could see that as an option. Now, this leads me to um, a topic that's close to my heart. And since it's a podcast, people listen audiobooks. What are your thoughts, experiences, or plans with them? I'll start with Ed. You mentioned earlier, my books aren't available on audio. And it, it, you know, the thing is, I don't listen to audiobooks, and I'm really bad I, I about this. I'm terrible at readings because my mind wanders in about eight seconds when somebody starts a story. I'm, I'm off. And the same thing with audiobooks. So foolishly, it's not something I've looked into and I should have because not because I'm one of the few people who feels who feels that way, and everybody listens to them. It's a gigantic market. I, I was actually at a conference or at a panel 
where uh, uh, a really, I can't remember his name right now, but a really successful self-published writer um, who has, it was uh, millions of books sold. I can't remember his name though. He, uh, he was saying his biggest mistake was ignoring audio early on because it's an entire audience out there. So it's something that I don't plan on neglecting in the future. Wendy. My two series, the Allison Campbell Mystery Series and the Greenhouse Mystery Series are both available in audio. I, I actually live in Vermont and work in Pennsylvania. So I drive back and forth every couple of weeks and it's a long drive. So I'm a huge fan of audiobooks and podcasts and audio period. So I'm thrilled that they're in audio. I've had pretty pretty good success with the audio with the audiobooks and yeah. Okay. And I'll have a follow up question on this. Um Shannon. I'm a super fan of audiobook. And if I could, I'm excited about something. So I just want to do a, a selfish plug here. So for Gretchen, I requested two narrators, one one of whom did Method 1533, and she's fantastic. And the one for the 15-year-old girl won a ton of Audible and audiobook awards last year for Sadie, which was also a huge winner. And her name is Rebecca Solar. So I requested, like, dream request her for Gretchen, and she accepted. And so she did it. So they both did it, and that's exciting. And then also on uh, on audiobooks, I did my own audiobook for The Extraordinary Journey of Vivian Marshall. It hasn't <laughs> meant it led to any it, massive amount of sales, but I'll say this. It was probably one of the funnest experiences I've ever had going to the studio and recording. It took a, about a full week because I'd have to do a few hours here and there, but it was a blast. And... Yeah, I'm sure my voice is awful on it. It doesn't, again, it didn't mean any sales, but it's, I highly recommend it. It was a blast. That's awesome. And I wanted to follow up because Charlene Harris has talked about this. I'm a huge fan of hers. And I think Joanna Parker does a lot of her Sookie Stackhouse series. And there's an almost interesting relationship where hearing her books being read by Joanna has reflected on how she's written them. It's like the mm-hmm. overall product changed and been influenced by hearing the characters portrayed and sentences sometimes don't come out as well out loud as they are, you know, readable. Have you guys experienced any of that? I'll start with Wendy. You know, I read all of my work out loud for rhythm. And um, so, uh, um, yes, I think, I think that's true. And when I listen to the audiobooks. It does make me even more cognizant of that. So I, I think you, that's a great um, observation. Do you like hearing them? Like I've had Brian Freeman on. He won't listen to his books in audio. <laughs> I, I don't. It's um, it's kind of like when you're going through the editing process and by the time you get the, the arc and, and my publisher wants me to read it one more time, I'm like, no, um, I can't do it. So I kind of feel the same way with, with the audio book, but I try and listen to at least some of it and it definitely does influence. But I think there's, my husband and I have an ongoing debate about this because he says, don't bother reading it out loud. It's written word. And I don't agree at all. I think that it's important to hear that, to hear that rhythm, especially with the dialogue. I totally agree with that. I read all my stuff out loud all the time. Yep. And if I'm tripping up on a, on a word, it's got to change. Yep. Ed, you might read out loud. I'm not sure. Yeah. It all, um, I, I find it. I think I, I'm, curious to know if Shannon and Wendy agree with this. Like it always, the writing always changes 
sort of uh, it's to you depending on the the platform. So you know, if you write from pen to paper, it's different than when you type it, and it comes out differently when you read it, and it absolutely comes out differently when someone else reads it. Because then you notice all of the things that that make you, that you wrote that make you cringe, or you realize aren't right that you've grown that you're you're deaf to by that point. So yeah, I read I read everything out loud. It, it gets tough with novels, to be honest, because it's a lot. But yeah, I try to read out to read everything out loud for like Wendy and Chan said for rhythm and pacing. I'm curious if it might lead to problem solving too, like. You, you paint yourself into a weird corner in the plot line and as you're reading it out loud or somehow going through, because you're using a different skill, you know, reading one way and then speaking it out, it's almost like you're explaining to somebody. I don't know if that makes sense. Does that sometimes maybe help trip you to, Oh, this, of course this happened because of blah, blah, blah. Or of course that should happen. I, I think that it does sometimes more. So what I'll notice is, you know, I had so-and-so sitting a minute ago and now they're, and suddenly they're standing or, you know, some little inconsistency that I just have breezed over 10 times. And when I read it out loud, I'll, I'll hear it. I don't generally read out loud till it's a fairly mm. finished product. Um, so at that point it, it becomes critical because you want to catch those little things. I think the other thing about reading it out loud, I, and I agree with that, that it absolutely helps with the inconsistencies and, and everything. But I also find that if I get to that point, like Wendy, where you're, you're near, you think it's pretty much all together and you're reading it out loud. A test that I give myself is if I'm, if I'm agonizing or not really wanting to read the next part, or I'm like, ugh, this. well, I know I got to, pro- I, I probably should edit that more. Um, and the parts that I love reading and want to reread, well, those are the parts that I think are probably pretty close to final. Or, or read to somebody else. Like if I'm, if I'm reading it to, you know, whether it's a friend or my husband or my kids and they're like nodding off, I know <laughs> maybe I need to, to do a little more work, but also to, to Shannon's point, if I don't feel like it's ready to read to somebody else, or I, for me, the litmus test is if I'm reading my work and I can forget that it's mine, you know, I lack That's a good point. self-consciousness. I think that Ed, any view on that? Yeah, I, I don't find it helps as much with like, you know, issues with like, you know, problems with the plot or something I'm struggling over. Other stuff helps with that. But I, I find that for me, I have a real problem with word repetition. So I could write a sentence. I, I, like I said, you just get kind of blind to them. Like you could read a sentence where you or a paragraph where you use the word shirt eight times and you and you don't even notice it and then you read it back and it's it's horrifying how often the same words can appear in a matter of pages and you're like come on i'm a writer i should have a big um what's the word vocabulary you know i i should be better at this reading out loud helps with that because you 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 notice that a little more you don't catch everything but you you catch a lot. Now, I'm going to change directions a little bit. It's kind of a weird one, but you have fans of your books, and then you have your friends and family. Now, I can tell you definitely in the podcasting world, many, if not most podcasters, most of their family and friends don't listen to their show. Do you face any of that with the books where you have friends, you know, no, they, they're just not reading my stuff. They're still my friend, everything. I know they love me and support me and everything, but... No, they're just not consuming my product. That's just not their thing. I'll start with that. 
Yeah, yeah. No, my friends are terrible. <laughs> but, you know, some of the things is some people just aren't readers. You know, they don't read that often. They don't find it. They don't view it the way I do or, or other writers do. So it's not that common. But it also happens with family. I mean, you know, they, they don't realize what it means to you. And they don't see it the way you do. And that that's something that you grow to realize. He could say, you're, you're talking to someone, your book's been out a month, you're really hoping it's doing well, you're hoping people are talking about it, you're doing you know, events and interviews, and then you know, a close friend will tell you, oh, I got to order your book. And you're like, oh my God, what? You haven't, you haven't ordered it and you didn't read it the minute it came out? I mean, that, that, was my rea- that used to be my reaction. Now I'm better about that kind of thing. But yeah, my, my wife reads my book. She doesn't read everything I write because I, I write a bunch of different things. But she does read the book, but after it's come out, which is what I prefer. I prefer for her to read it when it's in its most finished form. But yeah. <laughs> it, it helps with the humility, right? <laughs> It does. It really does. <laughs> All right. Uh, Wendy. Uh, yeah. Um, you start this. I started this in this field and I thought, oh, I, I have a big family, big extended family, and this will be great. Everyone will get behind me. And then I, I, Ed's right. I just don't think that people realize, one, how you've worked for you know a dozen years to get there. And two, how much it means to you. And so it took me probably a a good year or two before I realized that it's okay. You know, I'll develop readers elsewhere and it's okay if my mother hasn't bought the book. And I'm kidding because my mother has bought the book. But yet then there'll be people who you would least expect it, either in a friend circle or a family circle who will become a huge support and fan. So it's it's funny how that all works out. I have, my husband doesn't read my work. He's an engineer. And he tends to fixate on things like, if you were standing on that step, you would never be able to see the angle of the... So it's helpful if I'm, you know, I want that kind of feedback, but that's kind of where he fixates. But I have a pair of 15-year-old sons, and they are fantastic because they're just, you know, they just give me straight feedback and I know how to use them. So that's really helpful. But anyway, to your point, yes, it's friends and family are, are generally not they're not always buying the book, but they, they try to be supportive. And, you know, you develop friends through the community and, and sometimes elsewhere. places. Janet. Yeah. So my husband also doesn't really read much of what I, some things he's, he's made a comment before. He's like, I just feel like underlying everything. Some of it's kind of true. And I don't want to know. Like, None of it is true. I mean, maybe, you know, there's some, but, um, I also have found I've been, and then I've got friends who, you know, three years later still haven't read something, but they support, you know, but I am surprised by some folks in either my past or, or in my friend group, like Wendy said, that read every single word I write, everything, like the second it comes out or, or very soon after. And that is probably the most shocking part to me. Awesome. Now to wrap this up, what is the question that I should have asked, but I didn't? I'll start with Ed. God damn. (laughs) Um, I always like ending things like this off writers you'd recommend. And for me, since this is about the thrill begins, 
the writers in that group are all terrific. I think we've mentioned a bunch of them, but I would, and I'm going to forget someone and I'm going to feel terrible about it, but there's Rebecca Drake and there's Sarah M. Chen and um, uh, Mark Pryor. And who am I forgetting guys? I mentioned Tom, I mentioned JJ, um, Liz Hyder. Yeah. Why don't you put a list together or, or give me a link to it. I'll put it in the show notes and that way. Thrillbegins.com. That's where you can find everybody. Perfect. And that's going to be in there. Definitely. Wendy. I always like what's next. And uh, I'll, I'll put a shameless plug also in that a number of us have contributed to an anthology that was, I think, the brainchild of Ed and yeah, JJ, JJ right really. there. The, the Night of the Flood, which came out last March. Am I saying that right? And we have another book, another anthology that will be coming out. So there's all these different voices and all these different stories kind of that are spun around a central theme or a central happening. And so hopefully your listeners will be intrigued and pick that up. So that's part of what's next. Perfect. Shannon. So I, I just, I guess my ending thing would be, I just want to thank Ed, who really, we wouldn't have the thrill begins. We're all so busy and so focused on so many different things. And for something like this to work, it's got to take really the heart, like somebody having the heart and, and the commitment to do it. And he's been just a wonderful unifying force. We've got deadlines and we meet, well, I mean, I, <laughs> um, but he's never a jerk about it. And he's always really supportive and he does just randomly text you support here and there and keeps the train going. So I just want to like, I, I just really add, I don't know if I've ever said this to you, but I just think that you've really given me a lot of support that is invaluable and I'm not going to ever pay you any money. Mm. (laughs) So anyway, I would end on a huge thanks to Ed because he's one of those truly unique individuals that I feel really, really, really lucky to have come across. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Now to wrap everything up, Ed, where can people find you? So uh, easiest way is, uh, my website, eamar.com, E-A-Y-M-A-R.com. Perfect. Wendy. WendyTyson.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram awesome. as well. And Shannon. ShannonKirkBooks.com, and that's my same Instagram handle. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Hey, guys, thank you so much for coming on. This is a treat. Yeah, this is terrific. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you. This has been great. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com. Hold up. 
I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that, that really scares me. You had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money is a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm.